Me and wifey in the room thinking of a master plan Thinking how we can influence the culture from where we stand Knowing that our steps are ordered by the master's hand Still ten toes down, we ain't switching up the stance The mission of this music ain't just to make them dance to And welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of The Bond Chronicles I am the highly favored host, Mr. Bond Chronicles on Instagram Mr. Ray Bond on Twitter And I am blessed to be here with my co-host Mrs. Bond Chronicles on Instagram, Ms. Bond Chronicle on Twitter. Look at that. I know. Practice makes a, perfect. Yes, it does. We're only <laughs> on episode 18 and we finally <laughs> got it done. Um, so, so thank you very much to all the listeners out there for if this is the first time that you've tuned in to us. We definitely appreciate you. Hopefully you stick with us through this episode as well as future episodes to come. Um, we got some stuff to get into, uh, but first, uh, I did want to also thank, uh, everyone else who has been with us up until this point. Uh, we definitely appreciate the support, the love, whether it be the Facebook, uh, fans, we got Instagram, Twitter, all the feedback that we've gotten, all of the likes, shares, we definitely appreciate it. Most definitely. The views as well continue to go up and be consistent, so... We're actually developing a pretty, I guess, loyal fan base, which is kind of dope. And, and it's, um, like, I think we said this last time. It is a little weird to yeah. know that, I, I guess not, maybe weird's not the word. Not the word I would use. <laughs> just to know that people are watching and, like, actually, not just watching, but actually watching and listening. Yeah. Because I had conversations about the podcast and, like, what we're doing behind the scenes to come up with topics and all of that and just... If our interactions on the podcast are what our interactions are like here in the, at home, and like uh, you know, just to answer that question, most definitely, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, pretty it's much. actually probably a little tamer on the podcast. Yeah. We don't want you guys thinking that we're not going to make it or something. Um, but yeah, no, definitely appreciate the feedback. Uh, some people have messaged me as well, just on different things, and uh, definitely appreciate it. Um, and so, you know, for those of you who have been with us, and if you haven't before, we we touch a lot of different things. Um, we give you our raw opinion and emotion, and the world has given us a lot in 2021, and today is no different. Uh, over, well, towards the end of last week, it was last Thursday? Friday. Friday. Yes. Um, so last Friday... Uh, we finally got the, well, by all accounts, the final chapter in the murder of George Floyd closed. Mm, uh, I wouldn't say final chapter. That's what I said for the most part. Mm. Well, I mean, outside of an appeal or something like that, what else is there? No, there's a federal case pending. Yeah, but this, I feel like this aspect of it is done. What And I didn't understand i guess we can get into it in a minute what else is there for them to decide in that case it's a whole separate case because that's where they're deciding like civil rights violations and things of that nature but so the murder aspect get... of those done yeah the the murder trial is over right that's that's I what guess, you meant right okay let's start about saying the murder of george floyd is sure enough final chapter i guess yeah okay um, so no, we're not done with, uh, Derek yet, Derek Chauvin. He still has two cases out there, but we'll get into that in a minute. But at least for the, the murder aspect, um, that part appears to be done, so to speak, by all accounts, when the verdict was rendered, 
over the weekend, I didn't hear much of any protesting or violent outbreaks, which is good and bad, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but the sentencing did come down. Um, and I will give it, I guess, first, it was 22 and a half years, um, including time served. And the likelihood is it's probably he'll serve around 15 Depending on who knows what happens, good behavior, program, stuff like that. Um, God forbid overpopulation happened later in life. You never know. But so we're looking at 22 and a half and a good chance that it'll be around 15. Uh, So I'll leave it there and kind of turn it over to you and then kind of give more of my opinion and take. Um. Well, I guess just before we talked necessarily about the sentence, the sentence itself, just everything that led up to it. Um, his defense attorney, uh, the attorney, defense attorney, mm-hmm. just trying to emphasize what do they call mitigating factors right. um, as to why he should only get what the guidelines say that he should get for second degree murder. Um, emphasizing his 20-year career as an outstanding police officer, all of his co-workers, former military um, personnel had all these glowing things to say about him and his character and how he was just this person who doesn't deserve to have the book thrown at him. Um, I didn't care about none of that. Like, you, it's been... I guess you can't say it's been proven, but there are other circum not circumstances, um, situations that have happened throughout his career as a police officer that point to his mental state, his racism against black people, just his tenure as a police officer is tainted with all sorts of incidents in which he has violated the just his duty as a police officer. So that was, I, I don't know, it was interesting to listen to. But I think the biggest thing was his mom um, and how tone deaf she was um, addressing the court and then to her son. Like, just to look like, I understand, like, no, I don't understand where she's in, where the position that she's in. Um, just listening to what she was saying, though, about people still believing in his innocence. Like, did you not watch the video, ma'am? Like, I don't understand how innocence is even still something that you could put in the same sentence with him. Um, and how she's gotten letters from people around the world and support of him. But she didn't, I don't think once did she say that she was sorry for George's family. Um, she talked a lot about how she was losing her son and that by the time he gets out of jail, that her and his father would probably be gone and how much of a beautiful person he was and she was going to miss all these special things and all this stuff. And the reality is George's family is never going to have any kind of opportunity with him ever again. And the special hugs that you shared with him, like I'm sure he shared special hugs with his kids. He shared special hugs with his family. Like, just, I don't think the defense, when they saw her statement, like, I don't think they did anything to coach that or to... Do you think they vetted it before she 
gave it or you think she was just like, I just want to say something and they just gave her the floor? No, they definitely looked at it before she said anything. Like, I don't see how you wouldn't, just even in a regular circumstances, why you wouldn't look at that. And it was just, it was just awful and tone deaf and like, and as a mom, I can understand the position that she's in because her son is potential is going away for a long time. And so that changes the dynamic of their relationship. But in the same breath, her son took someone else's son's life away and just no, I don't know, remorse for the life that was lost in this whole situation that came, you know, it, it was, she was, a, I didn't feel as bad for her as she probably wanted people to feel. Like, there were no tears shed, like, it, it was kind of a dry emotion for me as far as she goes. Anything about her or it or? No, I mean, I got a lot to say, that's all I want to make sure I give you. Uh, sometime. We can we can break there, and I'll, I'll speak to two parts. And so, the defense attorney's perspective. Um, I thought, and we were watching. I think we watched CNN for it. Yeah. Uh, they agreed really with my sentiment, where I think it's tough. And God forbid, I'm the defender of Derek in this situation, or his lawyer, his legal team. I do think it's tough that if you're going to appeal and you have another case and you have another case out there, I think there are limitations on what you can show in form of remorse. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek did give, I guess it was a form of you know, like sympathy towards the family. I didn't really I understand so. the words that he was saying. It was like, I want to say I'm sorry, but I can't really admit that I'm sorry because if I admit I'm sorry, that means I did something. Yeah, and then he was just like, I, I have nothing to say, really. Right, and he's like, because they're ongoing. So, one, I don't need to hear from you. I don't need to hear an apology. Like, it would come off as insin- insignificant and insincere because you pled not guilty, and they had to find you guilty. Um, so, that I didn't need that from him. And then from his defense team, I thought, considering the video, I thought it was an uphill battle the entire trial. Um, And I don't think they necessarily did a good job, but I don't think there was a lot that they could go on. Um, So that didn't bother me as much. I thought it was, to your point, I don't think it was beneficial for him to recommend probation. Yeah, I, I don't even know what he was thinking. Like, in time served, which means, in essence, he was trying to get Derek to walk out of that courtroom a free man. That day, yeah. That day, which I think that, like, I understand why you would think that, but realistically. But I didn't understand. Why would you think that that would even be anywhere near acceptable? I mean, if you think your client and you're fighting till innocent and you believe it, then I guess you got to shoot that shot. Um, but I think that was that was poor. I think if you say maybe five years, time served, and something else, you make that argument to say, I'm still defending my client, but I am aware of the situation. Mm-hmm. Probation is just a joke. Like, that, I didn't think that was in best taste. Um, and we'll get to a little bit why I don't think any of that would have mattered in a minute. 
second, the mom. So, and again, I'm a parent. Uh, we got three kids. And I don't know. I don't know how I would react if Derek was my child. I know how I would react emotionally, but I ain't white. <laughs> so I can't ever really understand white privilege. I can see it happen. I can see it communicated and exhibited through my entire life. But I don't know if I have the mental capacity to understand what it's like to be white. And to think like white people think. So to the mom, I can only try and refer back to other instances of evil people. And I feel like in most cases, the moms defend the kid. I don't think that there's a time where, whether it be Manson or Jeffrey Dahmer or any of these people that I remember the parent, specifically the mom, coming out and just being washing their hands, so to speak, of their child. Yeah. And so I also think, considering the fact that she gave a statement to aid in his freedom, I don't know what else I would have expected of her. But that doesn't mean that I disagree with anything you said. I think tone deaf is an understatement. Um, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was, and I don't know, and I probably should have looked this up, how many other siblings he has, but she said that's her favorite son. Yeah, and that was crazy, too. As soon as she said it, we, like, looked at each other like, that's your favorite son? So the murderer? Right. The convicted murderer. (laughs) So I get support. And a lot of what she said was empty to me. Um... Not him wanting to be labeled as a racist and all this other stuff. Like, you can miss me with all of that. But I kind of understand what you're saying. But when you go to favorite son, you're doing too much. That's like, like with the defense attorney, you can ask for five years, which would have still been insulting. But probation is just ridiculous. And so I think that was the approach. And kind of I asked a minute ago, do you think they're right over it? I do agree that they did read over it, but I think their mindsets were kind of aligned that they were removed from reality. (laughs) And so they both got up there and said some idiotic, in some ways irresponsible things that, and we'll get, I guess we can kind of go into the judge and I'll kind of take us into that, that had he not pre-written everything, I think he would have been offended. Like, we sat through all this testimony. You've heard everything that's gone down. You've heard your own police. And we know how police are. Yeah. We've heard police come out and condemn your son. And you get up here and say this. You get up and say this is what he deserves, given all the people that said he did not follow the training. They said the the four different criteria. Everything uh, was met. Yeah. Was met. So, like, don't, don't do that. You want to be the sympathetic mom. You want to, oh, I'm losing my son. Sure, I'm with that. But they, to your point, you could have addressed, even if I'm not admitting my son's guilty, that family and that child that we saw will never get that as well. And if I'm missing something, she can go see him. Right. Well, because he's going to be, well, even in federal penitentiary. Well, I've heard he's being remanded to the state. He is. But I was going to say, even in federal penitentiary, like, 
the some a lot of them are allowed visitors unless right. there's like some like, extreme conjugal visits have been a thing for a long time. Yeah, so and, and now <laughs> we got conjugal visits. I mean, that'd be weird, but <laughs> like people in jail are doing TikTok dances. They got cell phones, they have computer access. Like there's all sorts of programs in jails now that weren't around before. And then again, he's only going to state now, depending on how the other cases shake out, right. he could potentially end up in a federal um, facility, uh, which I don't know might be safer for him. Like, and at the same time, we do also have to recognize that he's going to jail, and he's gonna more than likely have to be isolated from right. most prisoners because of the situation. Um, if they can get to Jeffrey Epstein and John McAfee. Not John McAfee. <laughs> and many others. I'm just saying. Now, will they allow that? Probably not. But if it happens, I won't shed a tear. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> no, continue. Okay. Uh, so my hope, and I'll double down on what I just said, and feel free to comment however you like and say this isn't Christian, isn't God, whatever. Uh, I'm fine with that. I own that. I would be perfectly fine if she's dead by the time he gets out. Um, I hope they never get to share another hug. I hope all that stuff she said somehow is true. Um, but we'll see what happens. So we get to the judge. And from what I from what we watched and what I've read, since this is normal, um, for him to have, I believe it was a 22-page memo that he's going to distribute to, I guess, both parties. And I'm sure at some point we will get that information um, to read over it. I have not seen that yet. But I think we both kind of felt as we were watching it, as he started to make certain statements, specifically like, I didn't make this this, the, this decision based on opinions of outside people mm-hmm. or on emotion. I already knew we was heading down a BS road. Yeah. Um, it was just, excuse yeah. me, him emphasizing how he took the facts of the case and the facts of everything that he, you know, was presented. And that is what made him come to the conclusion of the sentence that he did. And while the sensationalism of the case and trial are important and factors, you know, how people feel, the victims, families and all of that. Like, no matter how much time he gives or whatever, like, there were people that are going to feel a way about the sentencing. But he felt that it was fair and, you know, it's what he was, I guess, able to do. But it just wasn't enough. Uh, So I think the ending there is the most important thing. And... It, it's kind of crazy to say somebody going to jail for 22 years isn't enough. Because you think, like, 22 years, like, that's a whole lifetime for a lot of people. 22 years, our kids would graduate from college. Like, they could be have families, start families. So, in theory, it sounds like a lot. And maybe in reality, it is a lot. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't close to enough. I... I don't, I mean, I care about the law. The law is the law. But there's no way 
there's a huge gap somewhere where somebody can go to jail for a couple pounds of weed for 25 to life, and you can murder somebody that you're paid to to protect and serve, and you get 22 and a half. I don't understand enough of the law. I haven't passed the bar, haven't studied the law, but that doesn't make any sense. Nope. Non-violent offenders across the country are going and have been in jail for longer than this man is and will be. And I don't understand. I've read the different nuances of it and the max was supposed to be 30 based on all this criteria. I don't really care about any of that. Well, it's not that the max was 30. It was the for the crime itself, the max was 15. But given the circumstances and all the criteria that they had to meet for the judge to exceed that, the judge could have exceeded it double and then taken into account the other um, charges, circumstances. charges against him. Right, right. He could have added more on top of the 30. And that's so he what... had room. There, and I think that's a big part. Like He had room to do more, but he... For whatever reason, he chose not to. Right. And so my focus, at least for this part, is the prosecution. Because the, I agree, if it met certain criteria, you could up to double it. Yeah. Which got us to 30. But there were other charges. And so if we're factoring in the other charges, I don't know why 30 was the ask. And they didn't really touch on it in the coverage that I watched as to... And I didn't hear the attorneys really explain more. I think they put a memo together, too, of what they were asking. I did not read it. But that, to me, I did not understand. I know. As to why we stopped at 30. I got where 30 came from. Yeah. But that was for the one charge. Right. And I think because that was the most severe charge. Because I think the judge said it on the stand. Like, because it was the most severe charge and the other charges were lesser and like what's the word like repetitive of the same charge that's why he decided to go with just the the one and sentence based on the one that's trash to me i agree and even my understanding and so if that is the case they're going to run concurrently not consecutively which means even if you add those charges in, in essence, those charges are added into the 22 and a half, which means if you're adding them on, you should ask for 40 to 50. And then he can serve them all at the same time. No, I think they said that the, charge, the sentence was going to be served consecutively. No. I think legally they said you couldn't. Mm. Based on whatever the law is there. So it has to be served concurrently. Mm, okay. But they didn't stretch it out. So I didn't understand the 30. I think, and this is negotiation, so to speak. You always ask for more and you try to bring it down. And if you've seen that you have met the criteria for the doubling, I, I, I just didn't understand it. And I thought for a lot of this, this last year or whatever it's been since, the trial and the research and all that testimony and all that has occurred. 
I thought the prosecution did a pretty good job. I thought it was a pretty easy case to win, but I still thought they did a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. And so to ask for 30, I thought was low. And then for that sorry sucker of a judge to, in essence, give him 15. I just, I, we didn't pop any bottles here. There was no celebration. It felt hollow. It felt empty. It was disappointing. And the one thing he also said was, and I, I don't know if he went and back went before the sentencing break and watched the same CNN we were watching, but he spoke to a number of the points that they raised as reasons why he should give a longer sentence. And one of those was to send a message. Right. And he said, I'm not doing this for that reason. Right. Which to me is a problem within itself. A hundred percent. Because you, you, you know, in his statement before he read the sentence, he said, there are a lot of this trial speaks to a lot of the things that are going on in this country. And just the fact that, this is the he then you'd say that this is not to send a message to anyone like is that your way of copping out and letting police know that while this case may have gone this way don't worry we got y'all in other places like that to me that just didn't ring the best way in this in this setting uh no i, I definitely agree and I also don't understand that. Like, the point of punishment, historically, is to punish for the crime, but it is to deter future events from happening. Right. That's why, pun that's why you give someone life in prison or you give someone the death penalty or the fear of the outcome plays as big, if not a bigger role in why people do and don't commit crimes. And so for me, I my takeaway is the max that a cop will ever get for murdering someone is 22 and a half. I feel like the, the high bar that we've, we've just established what that bar is. For second degree murder, if that makes it any better. But I feel like a cop is... It's going to be nearly impossible to ever prove premeditated murder. If anything, this, because of their past, Derek and uh, George's past and working together yeah. and reports that there may have been some tension before, this is, I think, as close as you might ever get to proving premeditation. Yeah. So a cop that shows up to a scene of a, of a situation and kills someone, you'll I think you'll never get never first get degree. First. So... This is the bar. And I think that's a heck of a low bar. And I think police officers around the country are celebrating. And they say, man, I can literally murder someone in the most egregious way. And the max I'll get is 22 and a half. And if I play my cards right, I'll get out at 15. And that is terrifying. Um, that's on camera, that's blatant, brutal murder, convicted on all three counts, 
and I'm looking at 15. So given all the other circumstances of a, an officer accidentally reaching for a gun or pulling, thinking I had a taser and I had a gun, um, any other circumstance, the bar is always going to be less. And so I've, I've said it on here and I've never really, it's never been joking to me. But the way to fix it is to combat it with the same thing we're given. And this just reiterated that to me. I, I wouldn't go that far because, again, and I've said this to you in private, like, I don't want to see more black people dying. Like, But they are. They And this is 100% true. But in like that manner, it's just, it's too much it, all the way around. Every way you look at the situation and all these situations, like not taking into consideration the case of the woman that you were just like the taser thing. Like she killed someone and she thought it was her taser. I don't think there's cam. Is there video for that? Yeah, there is. Oh, I didn't watch it. So that's why I couldn't remember. Um, just we've seen videos. This isn't the first time we've seen a video of an officer killing someone. It was the first uh, was it's the most blatant disregard for human life that I'd say we've seen in a long time from a police officer. And so, like you said, 22 and a half years, it's not enough. It's not long enough. It doesn't put a it's like he's not even putting a bandaid on a gunshot wound. Like I don't even know what to equate how disrespectful that amount of time is. Especially when you take into consideration, like you said, you've got nonviolent offenders in jail right now and have been for last decade, two decades, and will be possibly for the rest of their lives for crimes that no one was killed, no one, you know, was hurt to this extent. And you can just walk away from this. He's 45 years old. He'll get out, be 60-ish. Um, they said supervised um, probation. If he gets out, it will be like supervised probation. And he gets to live the rest of his life. And let's not... I think the part that's missing here, for me, or at least what I've seen, I can assure you, his books will be straight. Facts. When he gets out, he will be taken care of. Whether by police unions or other racist white people in this country... He's going to be okay. George Zimmerman has been fine. Super fine. He's written a book. He's done TV interviews. He auctioned off the gun that he used to kill Trayvon. Like, and just the fact that he's still walking around living and breathing today irks me to the deepest core of my soul. Like, I'm not usually one for that sort of retribution, but somebody should have beat the brakes off of that man a long time ago. But Derek, I mean, he gets out and he's going to be fine. He will be fine. Uh, he'll be better than fine. Um, and that that also sucks, um, in my opinion. Um, so, I just... It was a lot. It was an emotional time. I, was, I had to go get a tire for the car. And I was in a place that... The white people, they were friendly. But it was similar to when we were on the plane... I didn't really know <laughs> how the white people felt. Really felt? 
so what was, it was really on their mind? It was kind of awkward because uh, I was playing it again on CNN on the on my phone, and you can kind of see them look over a little bit while I was waiting, um, and I didn't really care. Uh, I was definitely not in a condition to get in any kind of struggle. <laughs> <laughs> um, had some stuff going on physically, uh, so I was hoping that it didn't escalate to anything. <laughs> but I'm also gonna be me and live with the consequences for better or for worse. Um, so yeah, that's it's kind of my two cents on on all of that. Uh, I am happy he didn't get probation. Um, I will say that, and he got more than two thirds of what they were asking. So whoop de do. But definitely not satisfied, definitely not enough. And in all cases like this, it never brings back the person that has been murdered. Um, so, again, prayers and respect to George Floyd and his family. Um, I know that the, the civil cases and other things, I'm, I, I believe the daughter has been, quote unquote, taken care of to a certain extent. But it's tough. Um, it really is tough. Yeah, I'm hoping that um, as a result of his guilty verdict in this case, um, because the other case is also about him hitting a teenager in the head with a flashlight. With a flashlight. Um, so they'll be able to use this case as an example of a patterned behavior. Um, and they'll be able to tax some more years on top of that. And then the federal. But you got to think if he murdered. George in this way, and he got 22 and a half, what are they going to give him for hitting the kid in the head with a flashlight? I mean, either way, it's more time. Okay. And then the federal case, obviously, which is how he could potentially end up in federal prison and then transferred back to, I guess, state after he's served his time and, yeah, for feds. Um it's it's like I said, it's not enough, but just even more generalized when you look at sentencing in this country, we've looked at, we've talked about it a little bit um, back when we talked about uh, the effects of the crack epidemic in this country, um, just how differently we're treated. You know, you look at the time that you get for having a crack rock versus powder cocaine. You look at the time that black people get for first offenses versus the time that whites get for first offenses. Um, who was that swimmer kid? I was thinking that raped the girl and yeah. left him behind a dumpster. Yeah, like he, I can't remember that loser's name, but he was in jail for like a year, barely. Did, did he even get that long? I mean, he got a, a decent, uh, it wasn't enough time, but he got some time, but he was in jail for maybe six months a okay, year. Okay, I was going to say, I didn't think he was in jail for a year. And then he got out, and just even in that, like, the judge in that trial, in that case, was like, because I don't want this to impact your life and have a long-standing effect on your life, this is the time I'm going to give you. And I wish that some of the black kids that end up in the system in that manner had that kind of sympathy thrown at them for making a bad decision. But you've got young black kids who get caught with weed. And from that time until 
unfortunately, a lot of times they end up in jail. It's just one instance after another of a judge throwing the book at them to make an example. I hope you use this time to really get your life together and understand that these bad decisions are your bad decisions. Like it's never that way for white people. And like, I, I just don't understand why or how that still is. And I know that the law is the law and it's written the way that it's written, but in these circumstances, these are the times where I'm just like burn it all down because I'm tired of looking at the unfairness of it all. It's like our, not to say, you know, to beat a dead horse, like our lives don't matter in any avenue of the justice system, just across the board. You kill us. If anybody goes to jail, you know, they're not going to jail for very long. But then when it's us sitting in the defendant's chair, your life still doesn't matter because we're going to just throw you in jail so that you can work for the state for free. And, it, you know, like it, it's just, it, it, I just don't understand it. Um, no, I think we've, we've seen that through the course of history. Um, the disproportionate sentencing, not only for black defendants, but for black victims. Um, when hate crimes happen to black people, Sentencing is light. Uh, when hate crimes happen to other groups of people, sentencing tends to be a little more strict. Not a little, a lot more strict. Um, we look at, and I can't think of Lori Loughley and whatever, the, the, the oh, college thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. She had a slap on the wrist, um, went to some cushy little place for a couple months. <clears throat> and then we've looked at plenty of other cases where a parent, a black mom, has tried to get their child in a better school district and has done years in prison. Uh, for something, just trying to better the kid's life because the school system and the county that which she paid her taxes in has failed her. Um, and there's there's just a litany of other situations that we've seen that it just, it's not fair. And it's subject to interpretation, which we I was watching a, a podcast this weekend and they said it's basically a roll of the dice. Depending on what judge you get, what prosecutor you get, you never know. And even though the law is the law, how it's articulated, the Supreme Court has done this and they've gone back and forth on different cases, it's a roll of the dice. But the consistent thing is, if you are black, it will be worse for you. Either your victim will get a shorter sentence or if you're caused the harm, you will get a longer sentence. And I would love for us to get to a place where that isn't the this case. This isn't even a conversation. Um... But we got a long way to go. And I don't think it's really behoo of anyone to fix it. That yeah, can. They don't, they don't, at this point, they don't care. The system is what it is, and it's been this way for a really long time, and there is no incentive for them to change anything. The George Floyd bill is sitting, is sitting, is sitting, is sitting, and... I don't even think it's gotten a vote or even a nod recently. No. Um, which is another thing is like Joe Biden shortly after the verdict, I mean, the <clears throat> sentence was read, said it seemed like the sentence itself seemed like it was appropriate. 
I haven't heard any other statements from him, and I, I don't think I've heard anything at all from VP Harris. <clears throat> um, but it's that it just it it really does irk me because they platformed and you know campaigned and shuck and jived all through this country talking about how they were going to champion causes for not just black people, but people um, of color in this country, period. And I have seen so little done. It's eh. anybody but Trump was, I thought, a hilarious sentiment um, when people were saying it because I don't think they really understood what they meant when they were saying it. And now some of those same people who I like saw posting all of that on social media and all that, like they're really unhappy <laughs> that anybody but Trump turned out to be where we are. And it hasn't even been a year yet. So it's barely been six months. <laughs> it's probably just been six months. Cause he went in on what the 20th of mm-hmm. January this morning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a little over six months. Um, I'm not going to be the guy to say, I told you so. Um, that's not what I do. It is um, what you do. If you do it really well too. Like um, if you want to say I told you so, it's okay. Like I get you it. You know, we we got a long way to go. <laughs> we got a long way to go uh, with that. Uh, but to that point, and political figures and corporate entities and just the lack of sentiment and sincerity behind the fight for the plight of black people. We have the Olympics. They are so blackity black this year. I and I typically watch some of the events in the Olympics, both winter and summer, because I like different events. Um, but I always watch the summer Olympics more than I do the you know winter. And there's so much representation. It's so dope. Like I just gotta get that off my chest. Like black women are killing it this year, and a bunch of them are from Texas. Like I saw a thing on social media. And it had like a list of all the women, black women that are competing in the Olympics. And there's like 20 of them from Texas. So shout out to Texas for, you know, producing Olympic level athletes. But go, you know, carry on. Um, So I have a different take from you. And I'll start with... Uh, there was a recent article, it actually wasn't recent, it came out a while ago, and it got little to no press. And I thought it was interesting that no one really covered it, but it is consistent with the Olympic Committee and them not allowing for political gestures or causes to be championed on their platform. One, you want to talk about tone deaf and out of touch, that's it. Um, in a world stage where views set records, that would be the ideal time to make statement and to champion human rights. Uh, because yes, I definitely support black rights, but I think we, there's a disparity with human rights in the world we live in, in all continents. And I feel like this, the Olympics should be the embodiment of championing human rights. But in good white fashion, the Olympics came out and said, 
they're banning any kind of Black Lives Matter protesting, paraphernalia, apparel, anything like that, non grata. Not welcome. Don't do it. They did not outline the consequences for doing it. So, or I'm sorry, the consequences of if you do it, what will happen? So a lot of times, and I've gone to the African American Museum in D.C., shout out to that. For those of you, if you haven't gone, wherever you're listening, whether around the world, it's a phenomenal museum. It is a heavy museum, but it's, it's really well done. And I have a picture, and I'll try and find it for our YouTube audience to put up. Um, but there's a statue of John Carlos and the raising of the Black Fist. And people celebrate that. People, I have, I've worn shirts that had it. I've seen a lot of people refer to them. Um, but I think what people miss is the backlash that they got. That was crazy. Yeah. And no one really talks about what happened to them since then. They, they highlight the stance they took. But no one talks about how they were received when they got back to the States. And how, in essence, the Olympic, the U.S. Olympic, I forget the name of the federation, federational organization, basically shunned them. They and, were banned from competing. Right. And, and, and distanced themselves from them. So, yeah, we rah-rah and hoot and holler for what they did. But just like with Martin Luther King, I think we just gloss over, just mention the fact he was assassinated. He was assassinated. Like... We, we talk about all the, the speech and the march on Washington, but there's a cost for these kind of statements. And these phenomenal athletes who did what they felt was right suffered a huge blight on their life. Similar to Colin Kaepernick, who a lot of people have since come around and said, you know what? He wasn't so wrong because there is a problem. Go figure. But he still has been unemployed. And no one has pressured or campaigned necessarily or boycotted for his job. And so where I'm at with this, and I'm a sports management major for those of you who don't know. So like sports has been my life for a long time. Yes, and there's a woman, and I don't know if we have her name here. Um, Yes, we do. Simone manual that to me is significant a black swimmer we've all heard the stereotypes of black people in water and swimming but there's a reason behind that like black i mean well maybe not now black people don't swim now but once upon a time like there one you couldn't go to a pool and the pool that you could go to typically was not a facility where anybody would want to be swimming with their family mm-hmm. there. You put your dog in the water, but maybe not necessarily your kid. Um, and then even trying to go somewhere in public, like, you know, Simone Emanuel talked about this during a lot of her, um, you know, press after she won the Olympics in Rio that, you know, she dedicated a lot of her career to Dorothy Dandridge um she went was staying at a pool she just performed not staying at a pool staying at a hotel (laughs) she just performed on a you know like everybody there knew who she was she was famous she was beautiful she was rich she was hollywood but they wouldn't let her get in the pool she put her toe 
Like, and I'm not sure if you're not familiar with it, go watch Introducing Dorothy Dandridge, go and do some research. She was a beautiful woman and born in the wrong time. She put her toe. Is there ever a right time to be black and born? <sighs> Apparently not. But um, she put her toe in the pool where they said that she could not. And, and just, the next... I, I looked it up just for our audience. It looks like it is on HBO Max if you want to go watch yeah. that. It was an HBO movie when it came out. Okay. Yeah. So you should be able to go there. HBO Max done a ton of great stuff. Shout out to them. Um, but if you want to go watch it, there's an option for you. Go it's ahead. an amazing movie. Um, and they drained the pool just because of her little pinky toe. Like, is so to go from that to being an Olympic gold medalist, like that moment is, I, for her, I'm sure it was just surreal. Um, but there are a lot of moments like that for black athletes in the Olympics. <clears throat> Just because you, I guess you get so conditioned to them saying that, oh, well, you can only play this sport or you can only do this thing or you can only be so good or so high in any given field. And here we are now just breaking records, setting records, just dominating in so many different arenas. But for the powers to be to say, yeah, we'll let you come and entertain us. We'll let you come and win your medals and get recognition, but we're not going to let you talk about the things that are affecting you as a black athlete. Or you can, but you can't do it inside of anything that has to do with the Olympics. You can't use our platform to further your cause. You just get tired of it. I know that the article you said there, at the time there was no mention of um, any kind of protest or anything like that. And the article was about, like you said, about a month ago. And as of right now, I haven't heard of anything. Um, but at that time, I think they were still trying to figure out if the Olympics were even going to take place. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily surprising, like you said, given their stance in past years as to where they stand as far as political propaganda any sort of representation in that manner they've always been against it but it's weird I guess because last year during the whole uproar over the summer and there were so many athletes and people in the sports world speaking out against racism and just the effects that it has on a country they had a really good statement like you know the Olympics embodies inclusivity and, you know, we love all races and kumbaya. Like the statement was really good last year. It's just really interesting to see how this year it's like, oh no, like we want inclusivity, but y'all got to be quiet. But I mean, I think that's the norm. I think that's what we typically see with organizations with Juneteenth. We talked about that on our last podcast. Um, that's the, the, the white way uh, is to say all this stuff but have little to no backing. And I've, I've said it before, I think typically white people champion, that do champion black causes champion black causes as long as it's not at their expense. And once it becomes at their expense, and I'm sure this has to do with marketing, and the Olympics don't want to lose marketing dollars from these organizations 
that are run by racist people that don't care about black causes, which is why they specifically named the Black, black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Yeah, like, I didn't know. Like, and I could see if they had said because you've got the situation with Israel and Palestine going on. Mm-hmm. You, there's quite a few different things that people could choose to represent or you know take a stance on at the Olympics, but they specifically pointed out Black Lives Matter, which is just, you know. It's typical. Typical. Um, so where I know we started this discussion, I said I disagree with you on some things, and there's two parts that I disagree on. And I'm torn. Uh, we talked about this, I think, with the music conversation a while ago, on a couple, excuse me, a couple pods ago. And... I could not, I was an athlete, okay? And I know this is a a running joke in my household. I was an athlete. Like, I played lacrosse, I played soccer, I've done karate, I played basketball, baseball, football. Um, I remember when you played football. Yeah, so I've played it, and I did once I joked with, um, actually I was talking to the doctor the other day. Oh, okay. About, um... (laughs) Well, I, once I realized that it wasn't going to pay my bills, I quit playing sports because <laughs> uh, I was going to keep going to practice. I ran track. Yeah. Um, and I remember you playing basketball in high school, too. Um, so I played it in high school, but then I realized at five, six, at that time, I was like 150, 160 pounds. <laughs> Barely. It was, Raymond wasn't going nowhere to pay no bills. And life happened, so I ended up going to work and all that. <laughs> Um, so I understand the dedication and time and effort to a certain extent that it takes to perform at that level. And so I definitely want to big up Simone Biles so I don't, even though she's well-respected, like there's a commercial, and I don't know who the commercial's with, but they throw a Frisbee on the roof. And they're like, oh, we should call some gymnast. And of course, it's a white gymnast. And if you have any gymnast on any commercial anywhere in this world, in America, it should be Simone Biles. Like, and she has, I think it's a Subway commercial, so she does have uh, some endorsements. Uber, I think. Uber, Uber Eats. Eats. Okay. So I'm with it. She has some endorsements. There should not be any gymnast from America getting any commercial besides <laughs> her. Like, it's laughable. It's annoying. It's disrespectful. That this girl, and the girl might have won some stuff. I don't know her well. I don't really care. She shouldn't be in that commercial. And so my point in that is these black athletes who have trained their entire, most of them their entire lives yeah. for this, I understand that that is kind of the epitome of success is to win a gold medal, to represent your country. And I'm not going to go down how little the country cares about you because we've done that enough. Yeah. So I understand it 100%. But it is kind of hard to celebrate it because I recognize that this country doesn't care about them. And it doesn't care about their children. And it doesn't care about their family. And when they get home or when they go, they're going to give them the apparel. They're going to give them the time to train. But when they come home, and some of these, specifically the track and field stars, if they get pulled over... They're just another black person. They are just another black person. And most of them are physically fit. So not only are they another black person, 
they fit the stereotype of potentially an aggressive or dangerous black person. And that cop will not hesitate to shoot and kill them. Regardless of all the training that they've done. And all that they've done to bring awareness and, and, and praise to this country. And so for me, it's really difficult. To hear the Olympics come out and specifically address not wearing Black Lives Matter stuff. But at the same time, championing these black athletes. I mean, this is it's what it always is, though. We're good enough for entertainment. We're good enough for the accolades and all these gestures. Like, yeah, we'll recognize you. We see you. Mm-hmm. But are your problems our problems? So do we care about helping you solve them? No. It's just what it boils down to every time. So, like, and, and I agree with you. It's on one hand, it's hard to watch it because it's like. And it, that, the girl, and now Shakari, 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 like, she out there in all her blackness. She is so black. I love it. I love it. I and love it. I love that. And I guess that's the, the, the small token that we get to express ourselves is you can have the hair and the nails and the eyelashes and still point at the camera as you beat all these white people. And I love that. Usain Bolt used to do that. And he's not American, but he was so cocky, <laughs> so arrogant in his victory. But I love that. I think I sent it to you today or earlier this weekend. Um, it was like a picture, a still of a race that he was in. And like he's looking back at everybody else, like with this huge smile on his face, and just the faces of everybody who's a good trying so hard, <laughs> a good meter behind him. Like they're fa- they look awful, exhausted. Like they are just dying to even get a little bit closer to him. And he's just like, "Hey, what y'all doing back I just there?" Woke up. Like this. <laughs> uh, so for me, that that's the tough part. Um, and watching these Olympics, like, I will say personally, I've matured a lot since the last round of Olympics. Um, as a man in the society, I've always known that there were issues. A lot of them I didn't realize how deep they were. Um, and so I thank the internet and social media for that, and they've educated me a lot. But the, it's the catch-22 of if I don't support them, it negatively impacts them. Right. And that and that's the hard part about it. Like marketing dollars in TV viewers translates to money. And money translates to their pockets because they can get paid more. They can get more endorsements if they're on a bigger stage. And it's tough that I got to support the organization that is clearly saying you bet not say nothing and stay in your lane and keep your mouth shut. But I also want to support the people that have worked their entire lives to get to that point. And so, and I like the Olympic Games. Like, I've always kind of shared with you, one of my favorite events is synchronized swimming. <laughs> Which is like, so funny. Like, I just think it's super dope to see the, <laughs> the performance and how they choreograph and all that. And the precision that they take. And I could not imagine. How much time they spend. <laughs> how much time they spend. 
And even like I really enjoy like water polo. I think is it water polo where they throw the ball and it's the teams. And I th- it's it's water, water polo, yeah. But I think that's just dope. Even in the Winter Olympics, where they had the one where they shuffled the thing. Um, I, I'm. Isn't it called shuffle? Shuffleboard. No, shuffle shuffle. I think it's curling. Yeah, um, it is. Curling. Like stuff like that is really dope to me. Um, I really enjoy all the different sports that we definitely don't see here on a regular basis. But it's just so hard, even with and you do you talk about the NCAA and amateurism and what they and how they take advantage of black student athletes, because these football and basketball programs are run by black athletes. They are one thousand um, percent. Because a bunch of other, when you own scholarship in other sports, you can still have a job. Yeah. But it's only the black athletes that God forbid you sign your autograph, that they try and take everything away from you and suspend you from playing. But that again, that's a different conversation. I uh, uh, <laughs> uh, did you bring it up? And this this is probably something that we should talk about because um, not on this this episode. Obviously, we're running out of time. But on another episode, black athletes in colleges specifically, the entire men's four by four track team this year is coming from North Carolina A and T. They went undefeated this season. Um, so they were the NCAA champions, and now the all the entire team, all four of them, qualified for the Olympics together. So they'll run the race in the Olympics together, which is super dope. For sure, shout out to HBCUs. <laughs> yeah, and and that's a big thing. Not a lot of the student um, people that are representing the Olympics are from HBCUs, but we're definitely seeing an influx of more athletes choosing to go to HBCUs. 100%. Um, we watched Deion Sanders talk about that and how he's trying to encourage that to continue happening. Um, but it's a big deal. Like they, like you said, they work their whole lives. Like, Because you don't just wake up one day and decide, I'm going to go to the Olympics. Um, definitely you, not. <laughs> it's something you, you know, you decide at a really young age that you're going to sacrifice a lot of other things so that you can get to this platform. Um, so especially a shout out to Allison Felix. This will be her fifth time at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. She's currently the most decorated American woman in track and field. Then you've got obviously Simone Biles. She's killed it on every stage, every opportunity she gets, even with the consistent, like discrediting of how hard she's working. Like she does tricks that no one else in the world can do. They literally named them after her. After her. But because no one else can do them and they're so difficult, they deduct points (laughs) for that. And I just don't understand if the goal is to be the greatest, like gold, there's first, second, you know, there's first place, second place, third place. First place is because you are better than everybody. So if I'm doing things that other people can't even do, why is it a question <laughs> of whether best? I deserve to be called Ugh. the best or not? Like, that's like the participation trophy thing to me. Like, I just don't get it. Um, and there's so many other Af- um, athletes. Uh, we've got Tori Franklin. She's the current American world record for the triple jump no american record for the triple jump she's competing this year um she's tried three times to get to the olympics 
And this is time. She finally got it there this time. So that's super dope. It's just a lot. And then I know you said the men's basketball team. Right. So, and y'all know me. I'm I'm that guy. <laughs> uh, so this is just, and I think, and the reason I want I started with um, Simone Manuel was because that was something that black people are not expected to do well in swimming. Yeah. Track and field, all the way back to whether it's Usain Bolt, Michael Johnson, Carl Lewis, Jesse Owens, Flojo, Flo um, and others. And I, I don't want—I hate naming people because I then leave people out. But <laughs> track and field has always been a black thing. Uh, well, at least, well, no, short and long, just because yeah. then it turns into an African thing. Yeah, when you dominate. Get so Kenya was killing it one at one point in time. I, they probably still. You know, <laughs> it's hard to outrun lions and tigers. <laughs> Don't you I'm do that. Don't you just do kidding, that. Just kidding. Just <laughs> kidding. Um, but yeah, so it's for me, it's expected for black people to do good at all of the track and field events for the most part. Um, and that's not to say that they worked the less hard or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But I did want to highlight her because that was something that was different. Simone Biles in gymnastics is different. Um, Serena in tennis, you know, Tiger in golf. When you're going to their world. Yeah, there's some black divers this year, too. Yeah, and we, and that's, that, again, that's the hard part because we got all these black people doing all this great black stuff, but they're doing it on this white stage with these racist people. And it just is frustrating internally, but I will probably <laughs> still watch. To you're going to watch them. the Olympics. Um, but that brings me to the onus of. The black athlete. And so, and I love basketball. Love it. I've won some money on it. I've lost some money on it. <laughs> I've played it. I love it. I, we got a hoop in here. We got multiple hoops in here that our boys and Courtney plays on. I love basketball. And this year, and I would have to go back and check, but I think this is the probably the first of my generation that I can remember, it is an all-black team. Like, there's no John Stocktons, there's no J.J. Reddicks, there's no Kyle Corvers. It is an entire black group of men that are going to support Team USA Basketball. And I'm good with that. Not surprised. The All-Star game is typically all-black, at least from an American standpoint. You got Luca and some other people... Sprinkled in there. Sprinkled in there. <laughs> and shout out to them. Yeah, them too. But then I look at the coaching staff. And Greg Popovich has done, he's been a great advocate for causes. Definitely an anti-Trump guy. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But we're looking at currently in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals of the NBA. And out of the four teams... Three of them have black coaches. Shout out to Monty Williams. And I think Tom Thibodeau won Coach of the Year, which was a robbery. Happy for the Knicks, but they went out in the first round. Monty Williams should have been Coach of the Year. <laughs> Just, that, that's not even a debate. You got Ty Lue for the Clippers. Um, who are the Clippers playing? Oh, they're playing Monty Williams and the Suns. And then you got Budenholzer, and he's playing... And I'm blanking on the name of Nate McMillan for the Atlanta Hawks. So you got, and then the Atlanta Hawks have, they were like fifth, 
No, no, but they were like way under 500. And I, oh, I wish yeah. I had the number. They were awful. They fired their coach, who I think was a black man, but that's not important here. <laughs> they fired their coach and elevated Nate McMillan, who they still haven't given a long-term deal to, which is a joke to me. So you got three out of the four coaches currently playing or coaching that are black. And your staff consists of being run by Greg Popovich. Phenomenal coach, Hall of Fame coach, all that. He should not be coaching this team. If you got, personally, there are enough black coaches and black assistants, they could have sent an entire black staff. And there is one, and I think it's Lloyd Pierce, uh, who is an assistant under them. And it's run by like Jerry Colangelo, who, again, solid guy. But we don't need all these white faces coaching and running this team of all black men. And I just think they missed it. And no one's really talking about it and no one really cares because based on the team that's been assembled and it's a solid team, they should win gold. But I think that, that that's a problem to me. And Chris Paul ended up opting out. Obviously, he's older. And I think he initially was going to go, but he's also had health problems. Um, LeBron James is has also chosen to opt out uh, for, and he hasn't explained why. I'm guessing it's because of the time in the bubble, and he wants to have a final push. He's played more minutes than almost anybody in the history of the NBA, so I get it. Yeah. But I and he's not going to go and play the Carmelo or Kobe role that they did their last Olympics, so I understand it. And I defer to LeBron because I think as an activist and an advocate, he's phenomenal. I criticize the way he plays, and I get, I'm get i in a bunch of groups, and it's all a lot of it's fun and games. And I like to stir the pot when it comes to that. You like to stir the pot, period. But I believe he just had his 10-year, um, I don't know if you want to call it, anniversary of his Promise School. And some of the things he's done with the Promise nonprofit. It's been 10 years? I don't know if it's since the school opened, but since the process has been get. Oh, okay. But it's been 10 years, and they just celebrated that. Great, great, great stuff. I'm with all that. But the lack of coverage on that bothers me. And I haven't heard him or anyone else say anything about when the Olympics came out and criticized or, you know, muzzled Black Lives Matter. And that bothers me. So... I'm happy for them. I'm, I, I probably will watch. Um, but to have an all-black team, which I, I'm happy for, and I don't know if that's ever happened. I, I would like to think that's historic. I'll have to go back and look at the rosters. But I just feel like that part's missing. If you're going to send 12 black men to support, you should have sent all four of the black coaches. And they didn't. They got the token one. And that, that, not to disparage Lloyd Pierce because he's a phenomenal coach. But there's a bunch of other ones that I feel like they could have had, and maybe they turned it down. I don't know. I'm not an insider. But it just feels and looks wrong to me. And I haven't heard enough coverage about it. And so I want this to be clear. I am supporting everything black. I'm supporting this country as we go to the Olympics, mainly the black ones. <laughs> um, but I like Michael Phelps. I think he's done, he's done a lot for I Baltimore. Did. I like Michael. I like uh, Katie Ledecky too. Yeah. So th- there are some in the women's soccer team and all that. Yeah. Um, They've got a really good um, roster this time around. So I definitely am excited for them 
and their hard work paying off and it coming to fruition to be on that stage. But I would be remiss if I didn't say there's a lot of me that is torn. And so we'll see what happens, but it's kind of my two cents. Yeah, that last part was a little out of my realm. Like, I didn't know any of that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, like I said, I'm going to watch. I'm definitely going to watch a lot of it with Courtney because, again. And she's, she, like, into she, it. Yeah, she like, recently. We was watching the Olympic trials expressed. and, like, she kept wanting. I was, the playoffs were on. Yeah. And she kept wanting me to turn from the playoffs <laughs> to go back and watch these Olympic trials. And so, so uh, and she's expressed interest recently in wanting to do, like, track or something like that so she wants to do track that's what she said i mean she said she ran a mile like really fast at school so which is weird because like we're clumsy and i just, you're clumsy she's clumsy sometimes okay too. when you say we <laughs> i just want to differentiate emphasis between... on the me my genetics part correct, correct um no so if you know obviously if that's what she wants to do i'm more than 1000 percent behind it um, so we're definitely going to watch at least the track. And I'm sure she would really like to watch the gymnastics, too. Oh, for sure. um, so I'm really excited to watch all of that with hers. All the black girl magic, all the black girl excellence. We are here for in the Bond household. Um, and yes, and so, and this could be another topic, but uh, another day. Um, because I think it has shown um, to be a situation um, where she's becoming more aware. Mm, yeah. And we talked about, <laughs> what were we talking about? Um, was it Malcolm? No, we talked about. And she didn't know something. Tulsa. Was it Tulsa? I think we were think talking about Tulsa. Tulsa. Um, but a conversation, when do you start having those conversations with your children? Specifically with like black history um, and things like that. Uh, so... We definitely will do this and going back and starting to watch some of the movies and things like that. So, yeah, it, it'll be fun. But, again, thank you guys, everybody. I know, you guys, I guess you guys never really know what you're going to get um, when we have an episode. So, real quick. Yeah. Just because, like, real, I just want to see your reaction. Oh, good. Like, I don't know if you guys watched how passionately Ray felt about Father's Day and Juneteenth and all of that on last week's episode. Mm -hmm. So I was looking, I'm trying to plan some events for Reaction Apparel for next year. And I'm looking at the calendar <clears throat> in June. <laughs> it falls on the same day? Juneteenth and Father's Day are the same day next year. <laughs> and I saw it. I told y'all it should move the day. <laughs> Give us, put it in a different month. Put it in August. I saw announced no like, holidays. Ray's gonna be blow. <laughs> and so I had to tell you, you know, for the people to see your reaction. Because me and my mom talked about it too. And she's like, oh, he's gonna be so upset. Worst. Put it in August. <laughs> There's no major holidays in August. Put Father's Day in August. That's my campaign. I don't know who to talk to. I'm gonna write my senator, <laughs> write my governor. You're supposed to be the voice of the people, and the people... I'm going to start a petition. That's what I need to do. Start a petition, Start a babe. petition. Um, I'll sign it. Uh, I don't know where I start that at, but I'm starting a petition. So <laughs> that will probably be maybe not in this length because of the time frame, but I'm starting a petition to move Father's Day to another month, particularly the second 
week in August. Second Sunday in August will be Father's Day. Um, yeah, so that's all I got. Thank you so much. We love you all. Please continue to like, share, and subscribe. Also, check out thebondchronicles.com um, for different nuances and things that we have there. Um, so, again, in life, things happen. You have the power to choose what you do. Choose wisely and always bet on you.